Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Greater Than. Greater Than is a coconut water-based sports drink made by golfers for golfers. Just recently, they added a new flavor and new packaging with an actual golfer on it. These guys run a small business. It's, it's great stuff, really quality product that hydrates you and has half the sugars of Gatorade. Great taste thing and really keeps you fresh and ready to go on the golf course. So give Greater Than a try. Uh, it's available for purchase at drinkgt.com. And if you use the code FRIEDEGG20, you'll get 20% off your first order. So try it out. Uh, great flavors. The newest one is watermelon, which features the golfer on the packaging. Support their small business. To order greater than, visit drinkgt.com and use the code FRIEDEGG20. No spaces in that. It's FRIEDEGG20 at drinkgt.com. And uh, if you really enjoy it, tell your course or club to stock it. This episode is with Jeff Ogilvie. Jeff and I caught up for a little while, and we started off by talking a little bit about the Masters and Tiger's win since we hadn't talked since uh, before Tiger sealed the deal. Part two will focus on the PGA Championship this week as well as Beth Page Black. So look for that to be in your feeds probably on Tuesday night, and this one's up uh, here, and we'll get you ready to go for your second major championship, the PGA Championship at Beth Page. So without further ado, here is Jeff Ogilvie. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Do you think there's something with short putts? With like, I think there's like an expectation thing, you know? Nobody ever struggles with an eight-foot putt, but people struggle with a three-foot putt. Why? You give yourself less chance to miss it, right? I mean, if you miss an eight-footer, you don't don't take it too harsh. I think you kind of start to... You don't let yourself miss short putts, and that's why you do. Well, that's why the stress, at least, I should say. You let yourself miss an eight-footer. It's like that stat with the uh, par putt to birdie putt. I mean, every pro in the world holds more par putts from eight feet than par- than birdie putts. Why is that? Um, but it's a, a... Yeah, it's... Yeah, whatever you want the scientific term for it, but it's true. And I think the closer you get to the hole, the less you're willing to accept you might miss it. So you get tenser about it or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's like almost like the expectations the wrong thing. Like if if you walked up and you expect to make it without thinking about being mad about missing it, you'd probably make more of them. But the fact that you think For about sure. missing it, you know, I don't know. You think about missing it before you hit it, and once you've missed, you don't think about missing it when you're young. You just think about missing it once you've missed a few. Once <laughs> you've missed a few, then it's always in your head, right? That's why so you just—it's more—it's just a pressure, self-inflicted pressure. That's why some courses I think are easier the first time you play them, because you don't know where all the bad stuff is. 
for 100% that's true on some courses. Some courses it's definitely better to not know. Just tell me where to hit it. I don't want to know where the bad stuff is. Um, yeah, I don't know. Putting, putting. I think this, there's also there's a massive psychological. The guys who get like that with their putting are the ones who have always hit the ball great. And they just have more opportunities to miss. I mean, there's almost no guy who's historically not hit it that close to the hole or missed a lot of greens. Those guys always putt decently. They never have problems. It's the guys who hit it close their whole career. They're the ones who have problems. And well, it, it has I, to be psychological. If you if they didn't hit it close, though, they wouldn't be playing on tour. You could make that argument, but you could also argue that they've seen the ball miss more, you know, because they've had more eight to 20 footers. Whereas the guys who don't hit it very well, they chip it up to inside five feet every time. So they're more putts that they've hit in their life have gone in because they've had less putts from outside that. I mean, it's is an accumulation of a career, but I mean, Monty, Adam Scott, like Lucas Glover, these guys who are like just stripe shows who hit it close their whole life, eventually by the end, struggle with their putting. VJ, mm-hmm. you know, Nicholas and Tiger are like the exceptions. I wonder, uh, I, I, you just said something that made me think of Sergio because Sergio is so... He's another guy that's you know struggled with the putter, but but then I think same about, thing exactly the same. Is his pitching the most like the, his his short game the most underappreciated great skill of any player? Because everybody talks about how he hits it. Yeah, he's very artistic around the greens too. Like he's, I mean, he's not savvy. He doesn't play the outrageous shots, but he's he always plays the right shot. He's yeah, he's brilliant around the greens really good and he looks engaged you know like he loves loves hitting great pitch shots great chip shots yeah he's really good around the greens but he hits it so I mean, he hits it so good that everybody just notices his ball striking but um he's incredible for everywhere except inside about 10 feet probably you know and and when he works that out he wins when he puts well inside 10 feet he wins it seems like yeah yeah that's exactly i mean yeah, you look at like Westwood would be another guy inside ten feet. Just, I mean, he'd have he'd have a couple majors. But again, he's had a career of being ten to twelve, 15, ten to twenty feet for birdie on almost every hole. I mean, these guys who stripe it, they've just got more opportunity to miss. I mean, part of me is with Spieth with his putting is that he just hits too many putts, and at some point, Jackie Burke used to say his fix for putting was just go hit a hundred three footers in a row. You know, and if you can hold 103 footers in a row, then you can putt. Um, because you're just seeing the ball go in all the time. And when you practice 8, 10, 12, 15 footers, that birdie range putt, as good as you can putt, you're still seeing the ball miss a lot. And that just builds up in your head over a long period of time. Maybe. I don't know. That's my theory, at least. Yes. Like the best putters I've ever known haven't practiced their putting that much. They, I mean, they're consistent, but they're 5, 10 minutes and then they go on. You know, they don't stand there for three hours every Thursday and Friday and Wednesday afternoons and just grinding in grooves into the green. The, the great putters don't do that. They come, they want me. Snedeker, he had some patches of practicing a little bit, but they're consistently practicing it, but they're not like that guy who digs holes in the putting green grooves, you know, because I think they just, they, they get the feel, they see the ball go in the hole and then they're happy, you know, then they go out in the course. There's something to that. I don't know what it is, but. I, I agree. I think like the short putts, there's something to that, like practicing long putts and short putts, but nothing in between. You know, because there's definitely merit to that. I mean, 
Yeah, Tiger, Tiger always, when he got on the green, would hit just 100 footers. The longest putters, putts he could hit for like the first five minutes he walked on the green. And then at the end, he would hit two, two, three footers. That was it. He didn't hit many in between. And you never saw Tiger practice his putting on tour. You just saw him warm it up. He wasn't chalk lining or getting the string line or doing circles or any of that, really. He was generally just being loose, putting around the green with one hand sometimes. Like it was uh, had an, a sense of not so serious. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. A bit lighter about it. He was on the green and he was kind of bantering with guys and banging putts all the way across the green, but it wasn't so – his putting preparation wasn't so stressful and serious like you see some guys. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is just – Years of watching people, watching what works and what doesn't work, and this is what makes know. golf great because there's no no true answer. Nobody's got it. That's why putting so nobody's got it. It's the most frustrating. Putting's the most frustrating aspect of golf. I find bugs me so much. Well, it's the most. It's the most. It's the most black and white, right? It's in or it's out. It's success or it's failure. Whereas with a golf, like a full shot, it feels like there's a bit more area of gray. That was okay. That was gray. That was average, but I can get away with it. And you've got more shot with a bad drive. You've got three more shots to make par. You miss your par putt. It's over. <laughs> you've made bogey. Like there's no coming back from that. That's so true because like if you hit a, a average drive, it's whatever. But like when you have the eight foot slider from left to right, and as soon as you it, you hit it, you know it's just gonna miss like a cup right. You're just like, God, that was just terrible. You know, you just feel awful. And success is only success if the ball goes in. Yeah. Whereas a drive, you've got thirty yards of fairway, and even in the rough, you can kind of you can maybe make par or get it up to the green. But like a putt, it's in or it's out. Like it's success or it's failure. And I think that's the only part in golf that's like that. So I think that's why it. <laughs> Leaves all the scars that it does. Hey, uh, what did you think of what did you think of Tiger's win? Holy wow! Yeah, um, outrageous. I mean, it kind of looked it on Saturday a little bit, didn't it? I felt. I mean, everybody's written it, and I mean, there's been as much written about this as anything. But uh, the um, he just carried that air of kind of joy or happiness and lightness on the course that he hadn't had since he was a kid. It didn't appear to me, and he just looked like he was in the right mood. And as soon as that back nine came along, it was like 2002 again, wasn't it? It was incredible. He just looked, he just looked so comfortable down the stretch when nobody else looked completely comfortable. You know, I mean, I think they are, Brooks looked great, and a few of the others looked great, but he just looked like heyday Tiger all of a sudden. Like, oh, now I remember what I'm doing. Everyone get out of the way. I'm going to win. You know. And that shot on six, that shot on sixteen, it was just like, was it ever going to go anywhere else? You know, it was just incredible. The Fun shot, to watch. shot on fifteen was awesome too. And then, and then, it, it yeah, was, yeah, that fifteen, the shot on fifteen was like perfect. It, was, it seemed like he was never, he's never taking on like the really risky line, but he was taking the right line every time. It's funny. I mean, he had this reputation in his heyday of being ultra aggressive but he actually wasn't when he got in majors in the last nine holes especially he was ultra conservative really um never really gave himself a chance to relative to a guy like phil for example who clearly takes the most cavalier approach that he can because that's how he likes to play tiger was always like back footing two irons and hitting them low and hitting it to the fat side of the green and 
kind of that Nicholas make people beat me thing. Um, regular tournaments, he was pretty aggressive, but majors, he was always, he was an incredibly smart golfer, probably underestimated or under, under talked about how smart he was and how a little danger he would put his ball in. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was great to watch. I mean, what a comeback from what a couple of years ago, he was, uh, not playing golf again and, getting pulled up on the side of the road by the police and all sorts of, I mean, it was like, wow, coming back from that just to come on tour was impressive, but to, to realistically be what one of the top two or three golfers in the world right now, that's pretty outrageous. Yeah. I mean, you look back and now he's, he's finished top six and with a win in the last three majors, like who would have thought that two years ago? It's absolutely nuts. And, uh, no, it's nuts. Yeah, it's nuts. What was it like when Tiger was in the hunt in a major when you're playing? Do you, do you think that it had an effect? People have talked about it. Do you think there was any Tiger effect? In the Masters, you said everybody was a little uncomfortable. Do you think that had anything to do with him? I think a little bit. I mean, it's not what he does. It was the reputation he, for us, well, if you go back, he never lost a tournament when he played in the last group, basically, ever. Like, his record of leading on Sunday and closing at the deal was, what, 60-1 and one or something? Like, it was just a, a, it was So it just gave you this... It was just this feeling of inevitability. It didn't matter what you did. He was going to win. It just felt that way, because he always did. And even though you, this was false, it made you feel like you had to play perfect. Even though he didn't play perfect to beat you, he had plenty of bad shots, but... Um, or not perfect shots, I should say, but you felt like you had to play perfect because no one's ever beaten this guy. So, wow, I'm going to have to play good to beat him. And whenever you try to play perfect, you don't play very well, right? Or it's very difficult to play well when you try to play that well. And I think that was the intimidation, knowing he was going to be hard to beat, knowing you had to play really, really well. And whenever you try to play really well, you just generally don't. It's a... I never felt the physical intimidation or the, oh, this is Tiger. It's like he's just an intimidating guy like he probably would standing up next to LeBron James or on the blocks with Michael Phelps or something. I think that would be a little different. Like that's a physical intimidation with guys like that. Tiger was – and he's physically intimidating because he just looked so good and he carried himself so well and carries. But uh, it was that you know he was going to be there at the end and you had to play one of the best rounds you've ever played. And generally, when you try to do that, you don't. So to me, that was the intimidation. And it's just that feeling of inevitability. It was just, it's, he's going to win. Like, And the crowd knew it, and the, everybody knew it. It was incredible. Watching Molinari, because you know, Molinari played with him at the Open, and Tiger had that early flurry there. And then Tiger kind of self-sabotaged with the bogeys he made and... So it was so untiger like, but then, and Molinari just was kind of going about his business, and nobody was paying attention to him. And then when Tiger faltered, he he you know played really well down the stretch. But but this it seemed like the Masters. It was so much different because he was he was leading. He was in the last group, and all day you know he made some unbelievable up and downs just to you know to hang on to the lead on the back. But he definitely looked different from the way he played with in the open, but you know, it could have been just, you know, bad round or whatever, but it just seemed like there was a little bit different feel, and, and maybe that 
was just more pressure with the Masters and leading? Mm, I think there's a history thing at the Masters too. I mean, he's won there. What's he won there five times now? Was that five? Yeah. It was, that was so five. So he'd won. Yeah, so he's won four times before. He's clearly barely played a Masters where he didn't have a chance with nine holes to play. I mean, so for 20, 20 times in his career, he's probably come down the stretch on the last nine holes with some chance to win the Masters. Malinari, that was his first. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, or basically, his first, I'm not sure if he'd been fringed as a contention before, but let's say it was his first or second at the most. Yeah, I think it was his That's, first. Augusta, you're fighting history always. I mean, that's why Freddie always plays well and Phil usually is around and, and the usual suspects are always around because it's, there's just, there's ghosts at that place and Tiger's ghosts are the friendliest ones, right? I mean, those you can win there. The, the crowd, the crowd, all they want to do is, uh, they just, they want him to win. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's this, again, there's that feeling of, uh, inevitability that, uh, it was just going to happen. I don't know. It's just history there is amazing. Like it's, he's just been in those holes in that position more often than anyone else. And he's naturally better at that than most people in history as well. So, I mean, it's a double thing. It's a double difficult debate there. And I think at a new course um, where he hadn't won before or where no one had ever played a completely fresh place, it, it might be a different story. Um, a bit more of a level playing field, but that's the, that's the great thing about the Masters is once you win, you're kind of you're a, it's not a level playing field anymore. You know, there's just that's such an advantage to have won it before, especially four times. Yeah, and uh, for the guys that have been in it and and failed, like that's kind of what Ernie was talking about when he when he talked about it. like he was he got in there so many times and every time it went the wrong way, you start to feel like you're almost cursed. Yeah, and look, it's such a cool tournament to win because of the lifetime exemption and the champions dinner and all that little, that the the coolest little club in golf, professional golf is that champions, right? I mean, there's so few of them that once you're in it, you haven't got anything to lose down the last nine holes. Really. It's just, I can just add to my legacy here. You're still part of the club. Whereas people who are trying to get in the club, that's, there's more pressure involved there. More stress, more, yeah. More, more things that can distract you. I mean, more things that can distract you and start thinking about champions' dinners and what's the locker room look like up there. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, what goes through everybody else's head? But it's, it's certainly easier to win a tournament that you've won before. And that tournament, I would have said that would be amplified. That's, that's why I struggle with when I play tournament golf. Is, is when I'm playing well and I start thinking ahead. Like when it, whether it's like a USGA qualifier and I start to think about playing in the tournament or, you know, whether it's a, you know, a tournament where you qualify for match play, you start thinking about match play and you're not done with your stroke play. Is that same kind of stuff that, I mean, that you and a lot of other tour pros struggle with? I think that's natural. I mean, I think whenever I was playing really, really well, the tournaments I won. I don't think I thought about winning it until after it was over, or at least till right at the end. And I'd never. It's. It wasn't about. No, I was thinking about winning it, but I wasn't thinking about what would come with the win. I think when you start thinking about what comes with the win, um, or anything other than just hitting good shots and finishing one in front of the guy next year, um, then you can go wrong. That's when I went wrong. The ones that didn't work out. We're like, yeah, you start thinking about, oh, well, well, yeah, if it was qualifying for a match play thing or it was, uh, 
oh, like I might win a million dollars today and oh, I'm going to have a two-year exemption and oh, I'm going to get to go to Kapalua and the Tour Championship, maybe I'll get in that. It's like you can't hit good shots when you think about all that stuff, you know. And then you've got more to lose. You're standing on that last tee and you want to hit the last fairway. If you're thinking about stuff like that, you've given yourself a whole lot of stuff to lose. Whereas if you're just completely hell-bent on beating the guy next to you, that's it's a little bit different, I think. You're just a bit more focused on beating the guy next to you rather than all the stuff that comes with it. I mean, everybody knows you go play your friend for match play for no money, just for pride, and it's a little bit easier to close out than if you were playing for $1,000. Like, everybody's feeling a little different on the last hole for $1,000, you know, and I think the more kind of candy you put on the the end of it, the result, the harder it is to kind of stay clear about it, I guess, yeah. focused about it, not get distracted. And I think the Masters does that more than any place. It, it gives you distractions. Yeah, that that makes sense. There's more more things to look ahead to. And that, I liked what you said about losing. You know, then you have more to lose if you're thinking ahead, which makes a lot of sense. I hit. Okay. I mean, Tiger probably felt like he had something to lose. Like, I mean, everyone in the last few groups thinks that they're the one who's going to win that week, or they're hoping they are. And so there's they're all kind of carrying a little bit of that. But Tiger would carry the lead. I mean, he he had nothing to prove at this point, and that's the thing. He's actually been playing looking like he isn't trying to prove anything anymore. His whole career, he looked like, especially when he was struggling a bit, that sort of, kind of, at least in the majors, between 08 and now, he always looked like he was trying to prove something, you know. Mm-hmm. This time it didn't look didn't look that way. It was just, I'm just, great. Look how good I'm playing. How fun is it to play well again and get in contention? It was kind of a different air he carried to me. Um, and trying to prove something, I think, sometimes can overwhelm you mentally. At least it did to me. Well, you're trying, to you're trying harder, you know? Mm-hmm. A lot of things, you try hard, you have less success than if you just let it happen. It's like when you're trying to write. You know, if I sit down and try and write, it's probably not going to happen. But I wrote something today because I was sitting doing something else and it popped in my head and I just wrote it in an hour. And it was like, why isn't it always that easy? Yeah, wait for it to happen as opposed to make it happen. Yeah, it's uh, human nature. It's hard. That's the challenge. Now for a quick word from our sponsors. Today's episode is powered by TD Ameritrade. Whether on the course or in the market, it helps to have a second set of eyes to keep you on your game. That's why TD Ameritrade's trade desk is here to help gut check your strategies so you always feel confident teeing up a trade. Visit tdameritrade.com slash fried egg to learn more about what their trade desk can do for you. Member SIPC. Now back to Jeff Ogilvy. So uh, we're, we're, they're at Trinity Forest this week. This will, this will air the Monday after Trinity Forest. Uh, what do you, everybody focuses in on the low scores that people shoot out there for as, as a player, do you, do you look at, you know, 23 under what Wise won last year and think, God, that's crazy? Um, well, I played last year. It was doable last year. Um, but I don't think we should measure the uh, winning score on just one year. Um, it wasn't probably a typical Dallas week in May. Like, it wasn't as windy as it could be. Um, of course, I feel like we it was... The fairways were firm, but the greens weren't crazy firm. So it was kind of a combination of it played short, but you could hit it close to the hole. Um, and it's 
I don't know. It's kind of a course that I think will actually get people to develop a bit more respect for it over the time, over the years. Like I think people, Aaron played amazingly well last year to shoot that. I don't know. I mean, and I don't think there's anything wrong with low scores. I don't, it is kind of intimidating some tournaments. Like Kapalua was always like this. You'd start the tournament knowing you had to be mid-20s to win the tournament. And when you're even par after nine holes, it starts seeming almost ridiculous that you could think of getting to that score. But I don't know. I don't think guys really think about that too much, to be honest. I think guys play the first round as well as they can. And halfway through the first round, they look at the board and see see what the f- scores look like and kind of kind of get a feel from that, really. That's what I did. That's what I did anyway. I, I get a feel after nine or twelve holes, if you, especially if you play, or you're playing in the afternoon. You look at the scores in the morning on Thursday, and you get a pretty good sense of what the week's going to be like just after the, the half the field's played nine holes. Really, you just get a feel for it. Yeah, it's a shame. It's gonna. It's it rained a ton yesterday. It's it's rain. It's going to rain more this weekend. They say so. It's soft again, and I think. I mean, obviously, they're going to have low scores, but to me, it seems like the course and the it, it allows every type of player to have a chance out there. Did you feel that way? I think every player's got a chance because it's not outrageously long, um, although there is certainly a big advantage to hitting it long in places. Uh, it's quite strategic, as people have talked about. You got to th- There's more than one way to play it. There's quite a few kind of central central line hazards, you know, bunkers in the middle of the fairways um, that you can go short of, over, right or left of, and that kind of... There's quite a few of these on that course, and it's quite... Um, a different test than a regular tour event, which is, I think, interesting and got guys. It's just, it looks like a better field this year, and I think the field will get better every year, to be honest, because I think it's a it's a good player's golf course. I think when you're playing well and you're a good player, I think you feel like you could separate there a little bit. Um, I don't think the score relative to par is really matters, to be honest with you. Um, but it would be certainly more fun. It's certainly more fun to play when it's firm, because it's and then it brings in the guy who wants to just hit low two irons off the tee all week and really run it up and play really smart. You know, like say Tiger would have done in his heyday. Um, whereas when it's softer, there'll be just kind of more sort of drivers and yeah, less less kind of need for like great angles and stuff. Although the way the greens are there. Angle is is still very important. There's still there's some spots on the fairway there that are awful for some pins, and you have to be 50 yards on the other side of the fairway the next day. Uh, like it varies. There's a few real, there's some interesting stuff there. So um, good good week for a good caddy and a guy who is happy to kind of change his strategy day to day depending on the tee positions and the pins. Um, so I think you'll see good play regardless of the scores and the conditions. I think you'll see. Like the better players on tour, and I mean everyone on players a good tour, but a good player, but um, the better player, like the quality class players, will generally get up the top there. I would think because it's 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 it takes more than just the normal tournament to I think shoot twenty three under. I think you've got to do everything really well. I was uh, I was talking to David Normoyle, who's like the uh, he's a he's a great historian, um, and I know uh, David. Yeah. So he had this great thing. I was telling him about an article I'm going to write and I'm kind of spilling the beans on this art, but like about score to par. So last year, U.S. Senior Women's Open, Laura Davies wins at uh, at 14 under or 16 under, 16 under. All right. At the Senior Open Championship at 
St. Andrews. So that was at Chicago Golf. Senior Open at St. Andrews, 12 under wins. And then at Shinnecock, U.S. Open, Brooks wins at minus four. What course was the easiest? By what uh, measure? Well, naturally, everybody, you didn't take the bait, but most people would be like, oh, (laughs) Chicago golf, easiest by far. But they played Chicago golf par 73. They played St. Andrews par 72, and they played Shinnecock par 70. So they all shot 276. Well, there you go. So that's always been my thing about par. Like, it's, you've got to take the relative to par with a grain of salt. Um, I mean, it's obviously somewhat of a measure, but I mean, if you made Oakmont a par 80, is it then an easy course? No. Easy. You know, we're still shooting 290 for the week or 294 or whatever we're shooting. And like, it's tear- we're tearing our hair out the whole way around just because we're at, we end up 25 under par. Well, you're not like, it's not, you know, and that goes to like, you know, when you play a tournament and you shoot six, all 68s aren't equal. If you shoot a 68 and it's blown 25 and it's firm, and it's fast. That's a lot different than a 68 on a soft course with no wind. Completely. 100%. Like, yeah, you, you shoot 68 in Palm Springs and you're walking off going to the range wondering what's wrong with your golf. What's wrong with your golf? You know, you shoot 68 at Oakmont. I mean, you're, you're framing that card and putting it on the wall. So, <laughs> it. I mean, it. yeah, it does vary. Score relative to par is, I guess, important. And it's, it's a good measure during that week, measuring how everyone played relative to the other 155 players. But... It's not really a good measure of difficulty, I don't think, because the 13th at the Masters, for example, is a really uh, easy five, but a difficult three. You know, just if it was a par four, um, it would be considered a really, really hard hole. As a par five, it's considered a really, really easy hole, but it's the same hole. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, you still have to shoot 272 or something to win the Masters or whatever it is, and you have to play that hole in... 16 shots or whatever it is. I mean, that's difficult, whatever the number is on the tee. It doesn't change the hole, the par, but it is a good way to measure people in a week. Yeah, it's, I, I hope they... Uh, that's the premise of the whole thing. It's like they, they got to break the par barrier, go under 70, and, you know, all the problems will be solved. Why not just have par 67? Well, certainly the USGA, uh, if they do... if some consider them getting the setup a little bit wrong in the US Open, and a lot do. Um, and they say they don't, but they seem to have an obsession with us shooting somewhere near 280 shots. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're like four seventies to be like, that's the benchmark. That's the lowest we want anyone to go for the week. Um, if they got that out of their head, they'd have more chance to set it up well. I mean, Shinnecock's a par 72, really. 71, 72, properly. I think it's and 71. 70, I'm not, 71, I think, 71, I think, maybe, naturally, yeah. But anyway, just set it up as well as you can. And if it's some weeks, not, it's not windy and it's 16 under, well, the guy who wins is still the best player because he's still navigated 72 holes at a great course better than anybody else. The score, Nobody remembers what's, what the score under par was two years later, five years later, unless it's historically crazy. To me... If they took away, if they didn't care what people shot, or if, if you don't care, it's purely like outside of the USJ, just everybody. If you don't care what people shoot, you've got much, you can just set the course up as well as you can, you know, which means some stuff's going to be really hard, some stuff's going to seem really easy, but 
um, I know Augusta seems to care what they always end up with the same sort of winning score, but it doesn't seem like they care what people shoot. You know, they, they, they just try to have their course so that the guy who plays the best that week wins. And I don't think you always get that when you focus on score relative to par, but I could be completely wrong. I mean, this is, I, I, I was wondering as a player, like something I think about is you got all these tee boxes on these holes. Why does every day of the week, they always put the tee box in relatively the same position for the most part. Why isn't like the forward tee ever used for a tournament? Like, why aren't they ever putting it up there? Is it because of like the infrastructure? Um, I guess it's, well, there's some, somewhat, I would say the PGA Tour, as good as they are at setting up golf tournaments for, uh, zero controversy, you know, their, their genius is that never having a bad, I've never seen a bad pin in 20 years in a PGA Tour event. Well, I've seen average ones, but not outrageous ones. Whereas in US Opens, I've seen 20, right? And I've yeah. played far more, and uh, far more PGA Tour events than US Opens. Um, Australian Opens have had historically had some crazy setups and like had walk-offs with the greens getting too fast and stuff way, way back. But like generally the PGA Tour are masters at having like a, a controversy-free setup. But because of that, I think there's a lack of imagination sometimes in setup because they're so good at, avoiding the crazy stuff that sometimes you have to kind of risk a bit of crazy stuff to get more interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's their business model to not have controversy. They want the golfer to be the star on Sunday afternoon, not the golf course. That's the model because these guys are good or they used to be good. Now they're living under par, but um, it's uh, the nature of trying to avoid controversy is you're going to probably lose a little bit of interest. Um, I still think they should, Par threes, certainly we play a lot on tour that seem to be 187, 190, 188, and 186 for the week, you know, where there's certainly scope on every course in America that's got multiple tees to have it at 120 with that crazy little front pin and then 215 the next day. And um, Funnily enough, Mike Davis, he started doing that, remember, in the US Open. Uh, Torrey Pines, Torrey Pines, he put 14 way up, way up that day, drivable and a few different things which I think is great. I think it should happen more often. Augusta do a little bit. Augusta play that fourth tee off the members tee once, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really the only tee they do it. But uh, that's 16, they move right up. 16, they move right up that one day, usually. Sort of 20, 30 yards up from the back to that right pin. Um, especially so it's done with, a little bit. Not as, no, it's not done enough, though. Yeah, especially with courses that are like 7,500 yards, like where they might not use every back tee. Just change it up a bunch every day. I think that you'd get a better player. It's not like the same thing. It's like you're asking the same question every single day, or you could ask a a bunch of different questions. It's certainly when Mike started doing that in the U S open, that was certainly in the practice rounds. Very interesting to see. Everyone was had theories about which hole he was going to do, which par four was he going to do it to and which hole should we practice teeing off and all they're cutting this front tee on 12. We should actually hit a shot off this just in case. And um, it created such kind of, confusion or anticipation or uh it it made your preparation a little bit more difficult and i think preparation is a big part of it too right so if there's always the threat if they do it enough that it's always a chance to make a 500 yard par 4 380 or to make a 250 yard par 3 117 or something i mean i think it's uh if they do it a little bit it 
throws you can't just walk from the fourth green with a six iron in your hand because that par three is always a six iron. You know what I mean? Which happens a little bit on tour. You you kind of you know what club you're hitting off the next tee before you even get to it a little bit. Um, it's some of the most interesting times, or at least for me, my most uncomfortable times on tour are when I don't know what club to hit off a tee or what strategy to play because it's we've been thrown a curveball. You know, you know the thing too is that especially with classic courses with all the new back tees, sometimes the angle when they had to get the distance, you know, it, it almost like makes the tee shot easier because it it gives you like more. You know how when you move it onto an angle, it it might open it up a little bit more, make the tee shot, and then you put it up on the original tee, and all of a sudden you're standing on that tee, and that the look of the the hole just doesn't. It doesn't feel as comfortable, and that it's what you're saying is the comfortability. Like I know when I move up and play up, sometimes I'm like I don't know where to hit the ball. Well, I always like we'd go play. I mean, I've played Whisper Rock a ton. Of, I mean, th- a thousand times. I don't know. And sometimes when it, if you go out with uh, say the older members or the members who don't want to play off the very back tees like we do, we'll go up to like the one tee up or even two tees up. That's harder for me. Because I don't know what club to hit off any tee. Because it's just a routine off the back tees. I just pull driver out there and three wood there. And this is a four iron tee shot or whatever it is. But it's always, I don't have to make a decision. Whereas I go up the front tees, it's like, oh, what can I hit here? How do I run it? Out? Can I run it out there? The angles are all wrong. The distances are all wrong. And it, you could do that four days in a row around a same golf course to pros every year, really, on courses that it works. Um, and all of a sudden, that run out that's never been in play is in play. You know, or that bunker that you always carry. Oh, now you can't. And uh, it just, that seems like quite an interesting way. And another, it's just another layer to it, right? Another layer of complexity. You've been listening to the Fried Egg Podcast. We do the digging for you.